0: Welcome. If we never met before, my name is Anna. It's wonderful to meet you. And we are continuing, up here, continuing our series called "Name Above All Names." Oh gosh, I feel them. Oh, I feel the qu- I've got quite a lot of adrenaline. Does anyone else have a lot of adrenaline? It's the flying low thing, that's what it was. Um, yeah, so the, we're looking at the names of God, and when we're talking about these names of God, we're not just talking about names that we're using to address God, these are names that tell us something about his character, something about his nature, and the reason we're doing this series is to help us answer the question, some of the, the, one of the deepest questions that we have as human beings, and it's who am I? That question, that deep question of what is our identity? Who am I? And the reason we look at the names of God for this is we believe that the answer to the question of who am I begins in the person of God. That who we are becoming always begins with our creator. That his being informs his actions and then his actions towards us inform our being which then shapes our actions. And we're working our way through the names of God that are referred to in the Psalm 23, whether indirectly or directly. And today we're looking at Yahweh Shalom. Now, like the other ones, it's a compound name, which means it's two names shoved together. um, And it means Yahweh Lord and Shalom meaning peace. So Yahweh is peace. And this word, shalom, is a rich, rich word. It's considered a holy word. It's considered such a holy word that Jews won't even say it in the bathroom. And do you know what? That sits well with me. If you've ever been near Pete Hughesman, he's been to the toilet in the office, there is no sense of shalom around. The man has zero shame. He owns it. He comes out and says, stay away from there. It's really quite grim. Anyway, no sense of shalom in that bathroom. But the word shalom is beautiful. And it conveys a lot of emotion and intense. It isn't simply peace. It is complete peace. It's complete wholeness. It's well-being and harmony. And the word, the Hebrew word and the Greek word, um, which is irony, is used over 200 times in the Bible. Shalom, peace. And there's that beautiful blessing that's spoken in Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you his shalom, his peace. Shalom. And even though it's mentioned, this word shalom is mentioned over 200 times, only once is this name Yahweh shalom mentioned. And it's it's named in the book of Judges, in the story of Gideon. Now, a bit of context for this story and where um, the the book of Judges fits within the whole wider narrative is that you've got the Israelites, which are God's chosen people. It started off as a family with Abraham when God chose him and he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your family and you are going to become a mighty nation and you are going to be blessed to then extend the blessing outward." And the Israelites Israelites at this point are a nation and their identity, their history has been formed by this amazing salvation moment that they were a people. They were slaves in Egypt and God took them out by his grace. He took them out. He set them free and he gave them their own land. And that's where we find the book of Judges. Judges. They're in their own land. They're established in a land. They're kind of at the point where they have all the right components for everything to be going well, for them to fulfill their commission, to be a blessing to the nations. They've got their land. They've got their freedom. They've got the law. They've encountered the kindness of God. And yet what we see in Judges is this spiral going round and round. As they begin, they start by violating the law, they forget who God is. They say, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to walk away from him. And God allows them to walk away and to experience life without him. And they end up being occupied by their neighbors. And then they call out to God and and he ends up raising someone up to liberate them. And you can recognize, I don't know about you, but I can recognize that circle in my own life. I go, oh, Lord, I love you with my whole heart. And then I really like this guy. And I know that, his, um, that this kind of relationship is a bit toxic for me and you, but I don't want to let him go. And then my life spins out of control. And I'm, Lord, I'm so sorry. Forgive me how far I've wandered from you. Oh, Lord, I'm never going to put anything above you again. You deserve all glory and honor and praise. And yet I quite like some of that adulation for myself. In fact, it intoxicates me when everyone thinks I'm great, and I'm going to do whatever I can to get a bit more of that. I'm going to push other people down. I'm going to um, hide my weaknesses from people until the point where I get so out of my depth and I say, oh, God, I can't cope on my own. It's rather pathetic. <laughs> but it's a, it's, And hopefully my prayer is that my spiral is going upwards, that I fall forwards by God's grace. However, that isn't the case in Judges. By the end of Judges, they're spiraling out of control to the point that they reject God as king and they want a human king. So that is the book of Judges. And within it, in chapter 6, we find this guy called Gideon. And we're going to skim the first bit. And it says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's it. The violation of, um, they've done evil in the sight of the Lord. They've they've kind of that point of the, the spiral And for seven years, God gave them into the hands of the Midianites. They're in occupation for seven years in the hands of an army. It goes on to say that this army is brutal, that they they kill all of their livestock. They destroy all of their crops. And the Israelites are forced to hide in caves. The Midianites so impoverished the, the Israelites that they ended up crying out to the Lord for help. And they cried out to God, and he sent them a prophet. And this prophet affirms the story. Do you remember? He is the one that took you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and yet you have walked away from him. He took you out of slavery. He delivered you, and yet you didn't listen to him. And this is a moment where God intervenes by his grace again. You've done nothing to deserve it. He owes them nothing, and yet he decides to intervene. He decides that he's going to liberate them again. And the angel of the Lord came down, and I love that. The angel of the Lord came down and sat under an oak tree, an ophrah. I like that. I love the detail. And it that belonged to Joash the Abazrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep himself from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. He said, "The Lord is with you, mighty warrior." And just side note. This is a point where Gideon is hiding. When you're threshing wheat in a wine press, apparently this is really bad. You don't, thresh, um, you don't need wine um, wheat in wine, and you need space to thresh wheat, and there's not much space in a wine press. And he's doing it in there because he's hiding. He's essentially a coward, and he's hiding from the Midianites, and yet God calls him mighty warrior. And there's no surprise that Gideon slightly shocked and says, pardon me, my lord. Sounds incredibly British. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? He's definitely British because he's passive aggressive. Where are all your wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in strength. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. And Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon went inside, prepared a goat, an ephra, of flour, and he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. And the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread. Place them on the rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of a staff that was in his hand, and fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it The Lord is Peace. The Lord is Shalom, and to this day it stands in offer of the Abbeziites. Now, as I looked at this story, it has challenged my understanding and my concept of peace. The Lord is peace, Yahweh Shalom, what does it mean? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't mean it 's not from this story, the absence of conflict. This story is not necessarily the setting that you would imagine that the name Yahweh Shalom is revealed. The Israelites are on the cusp of war. A mighty warrior has been chosen. There's a ton of injustice going on. The Israelites have been subjected to violence and they're about to fight for their liberation. And it's clearly not the absence of conflict. Otherwise, it would have been revealed after they'd fought the battle. So just to manage your expectations when we're talking about Yahweh Shalom, what it's not going to be is that it means that God is going to give you zero trouble. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Yahweh Shalom does not mean there is an absence of conflict and trouble. The second thing it doesn't mean is peace is not passive. Now, if you're someone who doesn't think of themselves as particularly tranquil, that would be me. There's many things I am, but tranquil is not one of them. There's some good news for us, because Jesus was far from serene. He flipped over tables. He called the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs. He needs to work on his PR. He wept, he got exasperated, and yet he was given the title Prince of Peace. And there's Eastern practices that will train you into getting into a state of nirvana, a state of perfect calm, free from the demand and the conflict of war, of the world, sorry. That is not this. The God of peace is very much interested in the mess and the turbulence of life. And he demonstrated this perfectly by coming and being in the trenches with us. That Jesus experienced every single conflict that life has to flow through at him. Loss, betrayal, judgment, rejection, misunderstanding. The Prince of Peace was crucified, beaten, and killed. Yahweh Shalom is not passive, sitting above it all. He is in the mix, and he's engaged. And I'm not convinced our culture prepares us particularly well for trouble. As I look around me, I don't see necessarily a a building of life, um, a building of resilience for the problems of life. I see avoidance, I see numbing, and I see denial. I see very little courage to face up and engage. But you know what? There is good news. Because Jesus is constantly preparing his disciples for rejection, for persecution. He talks about the the family turning against family. He says, blessed are you when they insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. From the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Peace is not passive. God was not passive to the struggles of the Israelites. He was not passive in sending his son Yahweh Shalom is not in a state of disconnected from from reality. So that's what peace isn't. So then what is peace? Let's look back at the story. And I believe the key verses are verses 23 and 22. Odd way to say that, isn't it? You should go 22, then 23. But there we go. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. This is the moment of revelation for Gideon. When we did the revelation series, we talked about what revelation truly is, what that means. Revelation is the unveiling, the the revealing of true reality. And Gideon has this moment of unveiling and seeing God. And God meets his deepest need. So who is this character, the angel of the Lord character? He pops up quite a lot. And we don't really often talk about him that much. And angels pop up in the Bible. Um, they're spiritual beings. But the angel, when the angel of the Lord turns up, it's different. The angel of the Lord speaks as if he is Yahweh. For example, we've got Genesis 16 when Hagar... Um, he, he says to Hagar, I will give you many descendants. This is the angel of the Lord speaking with the authority of Yahweh as if he's Yahweh saying, I'm the one that's going to give you your descendants. And Hagar says, you are the God who sees me. The angel of the Lord is Yahweh made visible. Now, as Christians, we could say, oh, well, that must be Jesus, right? Right. Because John said that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So yeah, obviously that's Jesus. And the answer is yes, the angel of the Lord is Jesus. But to understand, we actually need to give respect to the fact that this is a Jewish text. And when we do that, what we see is some very obvious reasons why we do as Christians believe that this character is Jesus. But a Jewish interpreter would not read that text and say this is a signpost to Jesus. Jesus. The physical appearances of Yahweh are not unique to this moment or even to this book. We've got the burning bush in Exodus, the presence of God in his temple, the fourth man in the fire in Daniel. These are physical manifestations. The appearance of the angel of the Lord is understood in the Jewish mindset as an overlapping between heaven and earth. And Jesus was a Jewish man and he had this Jewish mindset. And in his teaching, he identifies himself to his Jewish audience as the overlapping point between heaven and earth. Jesus says in John 1, very truly, I tell you, you'll see the heavens open and the angels of God will descend and ascend on the son of man. He says, I am the overlapping of heaven and earth. Why is that so important in this text? Well, the reason it's important is because the overlapping between heaven and earth means that this, where Gideon finds himself, is in a holy place, because the presence of God is there. And if the presence of God is there, then that is terrifying, because God is holy and He is pure and He is righteous and He's just. And there's a reoccurring reaction whenever the angel of the Lord turns up or wherever we see these moments of heaven and earth overlapping. When the the reaction is often, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. You think of Isaiah when he has a vision of God, he says, woe to me, I am ruined I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. There's this realization of the holiness of God and the corruptness of themselves. And the belief was that if you see God, then you're going to die, which is why Gideon screams, Alas. I mean, what he's really going is, Alas doesn't quite hit that. He's like, Alas. Alas, sovereign God. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Gideon thinks he's going to die because he realizes he's impure. He's not righteous. He's not right with God. And this is very different from the Gideon we see at the beginning of the story. See, Gideon, if we go back, um, it's Gideon thinks his deepest need is the freedom from the Midianites. Notice that he blames God rather than taking the responsibility. It's not, it's not the Israelites that have gone away and left God. It's God that has left them. And that's very different to, to Gideon who's saying, Alas, I have seen Yahweh. And in this moment of revelation, he realized that his deepest need is not freedom from the Midianites. But his real problem is his disconnection from God. Help, I'm going to die. But the Lord says, and notice it's Yahweh Himself speaking, Peace. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. In the moment of Gideon's greatest fear, when he realizes the ones he should be afraid of is not the Midianites, but God, but Yahweh Himself, and that He has made an enemy of God by turning away from Him. And then He comes face to face with Him, and what does He encounter? Peace peace he encounters reconciliation with god peace is completeness and it is wholeness and harmony which can only be found by being in right relationship with god reconciliation and grace that god is not going to treat us as his as our sins deserves he encounters the holy one the one who is complete in himself And Gideon is greeted with peace. I remember this um, when I was growing up. um, We used to go to a Catholic church. And I remember this line. um, And it was one of my favorite lines. um, And the reason was my, two reasons it was my favorite line. Firstly, it always meant the service was coming to an end. But it it was this line that said, I'm not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and I shall be healed. And sometimes I have that line going through my head when I'm praying. I'm I'm not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and I shall be healed. Gideon has that moment of healing right there. Peace. Peace is reconciliation with God. Peace is the broken relationship with God restored again. In Ephesians, it says, Remember that at a time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who were once far off, that's us, we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. He himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. Yahweh shalom, the Lord is peace, the Lord is completeness, and in him I am whole. Yahweh Shalom comes in peace to reconcile those who have made an enemy of him. God's being shapes his doing, and then his, his, his doing shapes our being, which shapes our doing. We were made for wholeness. The two books at the beginning and end of the Bible, Genesis and Revelation, you see humanity whole. The beginning is how God created us to be. He created us to be whole. And our trajectory is going to be wholeness, that he's going to take all the broken things of this world and he's going to make them whole again. He's going to make all things new, all the broken bits of ourselves. We will be in right relationship with him. We will be in right relationship with ourselves, right relationship with others, and right relationship with creation. That's what we're longing for. That is peace. Peace. And that peace invades earth right now when we receive his peace, when we receive the reconciliation with God. Each one of us has this desire, this deep desire, this restlessness within us for wholeness, for peace. It's what Beth said, we have a restlessness inside us for peace. I was um, talking to my, well, my ex-therapist now, um, before Christmas. Um, not because I fired her. Um, it's, all, it's all really good. <laughs> it's all gone well. Um, but anyway. <laughs> I, had a, um, I, I was talking to her before Christmas. And I, I, because I'd witnessed a few shouting matches um, in the streets, people getting out of cars and yelling at one another and um, yelling in each other's faces... And it wasn't so much just the, like, the individual encounters, it was the frequency of the situations. And I said to her, I was like, what the heck is going on with the world? I kept talking to people who were angry themselves or were experiencing anger coming at them. And she talked to me about what she believed was this like, volcanic eruption happening in our society that there were tectonic plates that were shifting in our society, which were causing the ground beneath us to shake. And she named them as the big five. She said COVID, aren't oh, we bored of that one, COVID, political tensions, not just in the UK, but worldwide, climate change, conversations changing around gender and sexuality, and Black Lives Matter. Now, for a moment, let's not engage in whether these shifts are wrong or right, but they are shifts. There are changes that are shifting beneath our feet. There are cultural shifts going on around us. And for every single person in this room, you'll be affected by more than one of those things. And it is, she was saying it's layer upon layer upon layer that people have been affected. It's compounding. It's creating a shaking beneath us. And she said these shifts... This shaking beneath our feet is sending us into a primitive state where we either go to anxiety or anger. And what results is this volcanic eruption of emotions and toxicity in the air. Now, why am I saying this? Why am I painting such a bleak picture? Well, because that sounds to me like a world that needs peace. A peace that doesn't come from fixing those shifts, as Stuart said. Peace isn't going to be found in finding the answers to certain questions and managing these things. And while the church needs to engage, we absolutely need to engage because peace is not passive. We need to, as the church, not get embarrassed or lose our message. Shalom, peace, completeness is found in Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. The Lord is wholeness. Wholeness. He is steady in turbulent times. And friends, I'm not going to offer you anything groundbreaking or brand new. The way to access peace is by cultivating friendship with the Prince of Peace. Found in prayer, found in studying the Bible. And Titus, I loved what you said. That just is a, a testimony of somebody who's wrestled with God and gone after that. We're doing this thing called bread, reading the New Testament and the Psalms. Go on the Patton website. If you don't know where to start with any of the spiritual dis- disciplines, go on pattern.org.uk. There's a whole load of podcasts. There's a whole load of like ideas of where you can start. We're going to have a prayer room in King's house. Go to Seek First. Do whatever it takes to have a relationship with him. Get up 30 minutes earlier. Move your phone away from your bed so you're not distracted. What are you going to do to cultivate Relationship with the Prince of Peace. And it doesn't just happen just like that, as we heard with Titus. It's going to be a long walk, and there's going to be times of drought. But so often I hear, I have conversations with people of like, I feel disconnected with God. And when you ask them, What is your prayer life like? Well, that's often the answer there is no prayer life. Do you spend regular time with Jesus? Do you spend regular time feasting and being reconciled with him and spending time with him, repenting, being forgiven, receiving his grace afresh each and every single day, being filled with the spirit of God, being filled with this peace of God that passes all understanding? Are you spending time with him? Are you walking with him? Could he call you friend? Could he look at you and say, you're my friend? Does Jesus have friends? Does Jesus have friends in this room? Who am I? It's a question we're all asking. Who am I? Every single day we could look out, look in the mirror and say, I am reconciled with God. I am at peace with God. What a thing to say about yourself. What a foundation to live your life from. I am at peace with God. There are two groups of people I want to pray for as we go into ministry time. The first one is those who feel disconnected from God. You hold your hands up and say, do you know what? Yep, my prayer life is non-existent. There's no judgment here. It's just one of those opportunities just to kind of go around the spiral and say, yep, I've messed up. I want to actually fall forwards into your grace. And there's those who feel distressed by the lack of peace around them, that you're looking around you and you're saying, I, I can feel those shifts. And at times it actually scares me, but I want to be part of the solution. I want to be a person of peace in this time. And I believe that God, what God wants to do is he wants to overflow us with peace, that we might be bringers of peace to the world around us, that we might be bringers of reconciliation, peacemakers to the people that we live with, to our friends, to our family. Gideon was able to say, I am at peace with God. Yahweh shalom. Yahweh is my peace. What a thing, what an invitation for us.